Today, I welcome someone who needs a little introduction, Bob Rennie. Some may know him as the condo king. Bob is the founder and executive director of Rennie, one of Vancouver's largest real estate marketing companies. Born and raised in East Vancouver, Bob started selling real estate in the East Side at the young age of 19. His resume includes marketing and sales of the Fairmont Pacific Rim, Shangri-La, Olympic Village, and many other notable projects. Bob has displayed tremendous dedication to enhancing arts and culture in BC during his lifetime. He's achieved royalty status at the Canadian contemporary art scene and was nominated by Art News Magazine as one of the top 200 collectors in the world. Bob's been the recipient of several awards, including the Golden and Diamond Jubilee Medals. And in 2014, as I can see you're wearing there, Bob, very proudly, he was awarded the Order of British Columbia. Bob, thanks for taking the time to be on Coastal oh, thanks, Front today. Thanks for having me. Be careful because we write that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, let me start by jumping right into uh, an announcement that literally just come out from David Eby uh, a few minutes ago. And I believe you spoke to him earlier today. Yep. Um, we had a, a conversation. I was in his office this morning. Okay, okay so you're in his office this morning. So it's fresh off the, fresh off the press here. And he's announced a, a $500 million fund to help nonprofit organizations purchase older rental buildings to keep them in the nonprofit uh, sector and not be uh, uh, prone to, to be demolished and redeveloped for developers, as I understand in layman's terms. Is that the sort of theme here of this yeah, policy? I, I, think, I think simplistically, we need some immediate solutions. You know, you, you drive down Hastings Street, you can you can see that the, the challenge is there. And I, I I parallel it to in the 80s, I used to have a luncheon every year and we would buy a used van for an old politically incorrect term, the Burnaby Association for the Mentally Handicapped. And I was highly criticized that we would buy a used van, but that's the amount of money we would raise 15000 at a at a lunch, but six months later, it's used anyways. But if the immediacy, if you can buy a 30 or 40 year old 22 unit building, one, you're, you're, you're not, it's, it's less concentration of subsidized housing because they're, 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 they're small, they're smaller buildings. And I think part of the premier's worry is these buildings are just being going into inventory as holding property and eventually that inventory goes away and something new goes up. So right now, I think we just have to do anything we can on the subsidized housing and affordability end of, of, of the market. So okay. it's, a, it's a good college try to create new product. I think it's very difficult to create affordable rental unless we have government land or for some of our larger private landowners with a, a, a low historical land cost that they can they can make those numbers work out. Okay. So if we use this example of this $500 million fund to help nonprofits in acquiring properties that they otherwise couldn't afford to buy to kind of be able to compete against developers, so to speak. Um, being a bit of a free market capitalist myself, I mean, I kind of see this as just this. Wouldn't this just drive up prices? I mean, won't won't this just cause developers to want to pay more? Then, so you've got a, 
east side Vancouver, three-story building that's 60 years old, and uh, maybe it's at $12 million, and now a developer says, okay, well, I'll just have to bid up, and now I'll pay 15 for it. You know, with current zoning, if you're paying $400,000 a door, or as we drift a little further west, you're paying $500,000 a door, those numbers don't work out to buy that 14-unit building and tear it down. Okay. So unless you're going for a rezoning and then there's going to be a CAC involved. Yeah. I, I just look at it. There is no silver bullet to any of it. And we all, we all get nervous when the government interferes. Yeah. That now they're causing not f- everybody further, does, comp- but- f- further competition, but, but at today's interest rates, buying that 14 unit building yeah. without a government interest rate yeah. or a subsidized interest rate, doesn't pencil out anyways. I see. And okay. I think unless what, you're able to rezone it and build higher, then build higher, and yeah. that's a three to four year process to go, yeah. to, to go through that. And okay. no one's allowing spot zoning to go from four stories to twenty two stories. Right. Yeah. I know. Before you came on to our show today, when we spoke briefly yesterday, you on the theme of affordable housing, you talked to me about this being more than just a Vancouver issue. This is a regional issue. Yeah, I, I, can, can you describe what you mean by that? Yeah, I, 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 I think I gave you my example that what if the eastern, the eastern boundary of Vancouver wasn't Boundary Road and was North Road? Right. It would be a completely different topic because it would all be called Vancouver. I think we we're trying to solve everything in Vancouver and everything should be done. Let's let's look at the region. But, but I'll, I'll give you an example of a building. Um, Rennie does the leasing up of buildings for our corporate clients. So Great West Life built a building called the Chronicle at Robson and Cardero. At the ribbon cutting, Kennedy Stewart was our mayor and I thanked him very much for moving this along, but if I don't get 10 more of them, rents are gonna go to six bucks a foot. I was being facetious. We projected that day that we would get $4.95 per square foot rent, which is a at $5, a 500 square foot suite is 2,500 a month. Tough to fit in with local incomes. We ended up leasing up the building at $5.72 a foot. For Great West Life, it really increased the return, made yeah. the pro forma look great. But now every building coming up, given today's interest rates and construction costs, has to get those rates. Yeah. So as we approach $6 a foot, that makes a 500 square foot one bedroom 3000 a month. It doesn't fit with, it fits with Amazon incomes. Right. The, the seven to 9,000 jobs that are coming to town. But we have to create products knowing that our household income for the region is 117,000 a year. Yeah. That doesn't fit after tax paying out 3,000 a month for your one bedroom. Yeah, sure. So uh, with respect to creating product, I've had a lot of politicians come on Coastal Front over the last four years who've said, and most of them have been kind of that more left-leaning, um, you know, NDP type type politicians. And they, they came, they, they or green, and they, they keep saying that this is not a supply issue. Um, that this is uh, it's a product type issue, like that there's too many uh, studio or one bedroom condos that are being created and not, not enough for families. Um, what is your view on the, the, the sort of, I guess, the, the product mix of, of these 
developments that are going on in the city. So for for family housing, our land cost just doesn't doesn't work. So that has to be, you know, I, we should probably look at ourselves more as a, a metro region. Right. This goes and, back to your regional issue. Yeah, and if you if you look at the region, who can supply townhomes? Who who can supply single family homes? Or you know, a, a good single family lot in Surrey, I think, is a million five to a million eight. Right. So that doesn't fit. Yeah. With with local incomes, but something that I propose to our our new mayor and council, Ken Sim, and and I've talked about it a lot. But if I owned the city, I would look at a model of maybe taking from Main Street to Boundary, and from Thirty Third to Broadway, and rezone it to a hundred percent townhomes. Mm-hmm. But on a 33-foot lot, you could build six townhomes. On a 66-foot lot, as an example, you could build 16. On a 99-foot lot, you could build 35, right? which would be stacked. But we could only decant 5 to 7% of that per year. We would take speculation out of the market because why do I have to overpay you today to get in that 5 to 7% allotment? I'll get in next year's allotment. Some orderly process where over the next 25 years, I know where the neighborhood's going, mm-hmm. and it's it's meaningful supply for, for families, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, but we it's it's hard for our mayor and council to take the political risk of a 25-year plan when they want to get reelected in four years. Right, that's a good point. Because most of our politicians, if we look at a four-year term, six months, first six months, our new mayor is figuring out what he promised and how is he going to achieve it. Yeah. And then 18 months before the next election, the Teflon suit goes on because you don't want to do anything controversial that will affect your electability. Right. So we have two-year decision makers yeah so we need we we need to take political risk which is i think with the province maybe incentivizing cities to create meaningful supply and density they can take some of that political risk off of our civic governments right we're i'll continue along the theme bob of affordability um it sounds like what you're proposing is one solution going back to this Taking to looking at it from a lens of a regional issue versus uh, just a Vancouver issue, I actually have proposed to a few of these politicians like, what? Why not? Why not um, make Vancouver uh, consist of uh, like make make it what happened with Toronto? Like make it a much larger city? Like 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 ma- amalgamate Burnaby and Surrey and you know, New Westminster and Vancouver. Would you be in favor of something like that? I, I think that whether we get to a pure metro region, yeah, we should be doing a lot more uh, looking economies of scale at, at working together. But if you go 10 years from now, we'll be the only metro region that's not named after the largest city because Surrey will be larger than Vancouver. Right. <laughs> yet we will always refer to this as Vancouver. So there's our, there's even a flaw in our perception of it. Right. But it's, a good point. Th- it's, 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 it's really hard to, to become a metro region when there's so many uh, opposing political wills. Yeah. But what I'm trying to get everyone at our company, our economists and our data technicians and everyone we talk to is let's just start with whatever we're doing isn't working. So it's fine for people to come on and say, well, supply is not the answer. Well, just give me an answer. But right now we're approaching 
450,000 per year coming in for immigration. And I, I, I met with Terry Beach, a, a liberal MP the other day, and I said, you know, Justin Trudeau and the banning foreign ownership is just a political move for two years. Because mm -hmm. you're bringing in 450,000 people that won't all have their PR cards. So now we're forcing them to rent and compete in the rental market. Yeah. And I, I, I think he looked for a political carrot against probably a brown community and a, an Asian community right. that seems to be the culprit for housing. And when you break apart the numbers, they're not the largest culprit. Speculation's mm -hmm. done 85% by locals. Mm -hmm. So if we, if we think about other uh, larger municipalities around North America or around the world, we're again going to this on this theme of affordable housing for many people other than just those who can afford it uh the wealthy um bob are there any other regions around the world or municipalities that you see uh, a, a good working model that vancouver or metro vancouver should be modeling after uh i first we're afraid of density i think i mentioned it seems you, like we are i mentioned on the phone that yeah. when when kevin falcon and BC United Party, BC Liberal Party, whatever name they're using this week, talks about supply. It all comes off as lining the pockets of the rich developer. Yes. The community I advise. Yet when the NDP and David Eby talk about supply, it comes off as a solution. Yeah. So all of our, all of our talk on housing is so politically charged rather than rising above it and go, what are these solutions? And anywhere it's working, it's a regional strategy. Right. You know, I, 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 for, I forget. Do you have one as an example that you could use as a comparison, a, uh, a municipality uh, that you're familiar with, whether it's in Canada or not? I, I don't have no. a model yeah. that works. I was out doing a talk in Toronto a few years ago and everybody's complaining there's no single family housing. Well, you can't create it in the city. Yeah. And th there's there's no affordable single family housing can ever happen again in the city of Vancouver. Yet we're yeah. hanging on to this single family zoning for dear life. But my That's been my observation yeah. as someone who grew up in a small town and a you know like land cost was very cheap and I come here to Vancouver and there's so many people that have this dream that they should still have the right in Vancouver to own a single family, fully detached home, and it should be affordable. And I think we have to look at our city as a city like Tokyo or London or Paris. I mean, you can't buy a single family home in London, not in no. London proper. Uh, um, Nelson Rockefeller's grandchildren can't buy in Manhattan. Right. Like, but yet they, we all hang on to that dream of wanting it. You know, I've, I've, I've done this for 47, 48 years. Life's always been good to us, but when we built a home, we built it in Burnaby. Yeah. I was never embarrassed that we were building in Burnaby. Sure. Yet, I don't know if you remember around 2011, 2012, a lady named Eveline held up a, a banner that said, can't buy a house for a million dollars. And the mayor asked me to meet with her and I said, no. I, I said, because I'll just get involved in the controversy. But I said, she sent out a buy order. She didn't send out a sell order. She said to everybody, you better get in on this because you can't get any of it. Right. And so we, we have to watch how, how we're just marketing and politicizing all of all of these fun statements. But it's coming at a huge, a huge cost mm -hmm. right now. And the 
the trouble is there's a lot of money out there looking for housing. My, my fear right now is, you know, rates maybe they'll go up a little bit more, but as soon as rates come off one eighth of a percent, just like coming out of COVID, all that money is going to come out of the bank and it's all going to, 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 to move around. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll, I'll give you a graph that you're welcome to use, but if you're 55 years of age and older, in our region, you're sitting on $318 billion in clear title housing. Wow. Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh socialized that maybe we're going to put a tax on your principal residence. I think it's impossible to do because- Like the I've, gain you've made yeah. on whatever you've- you're But buying. I put in a new kitchen and built a new sun deck and you didn't. So how are you going to calculate that? Yeah. I think the fear is that maybe a one or 2% tax will come on the transfer. Right. Federally. So you've got a lot of, and change to capital gains. You saw what happened in your industry yeah. and people moving things around. I think you're seeing the transfer of wealth by the living rather than by the dead. Right. <laughs> and so- that 318 billion owned by over 55 year olds, people are buying down and helping their kids. They're freeing up capital and helping their kids, but just under 100 billion is owned by 75 year olds plus. Wow. That money's coming at us. So instead of acknowledging everything holistically, we keep looking at things in isolation. Mm -hmm. Nobody's marrying jobs to housing. It's fine. We're putting in seven to nine thousand Amazon jobs, and we're becoming a bit of a tech center. I don't say we're Silicon North, but I think if it's a lot easier to get talent from around the world to say they'll live in Vancouver than maybe to live in some American cities right now. Right. And yet we bring these jobs in, and then we complain about affordability rather than speaking openly about marrying housing to the jobs. Mm -hmm. and we don't, then we don't want cars in our city, yet we don't have adequate transportation to get home. Right. Yeah, these are all really good points, and it kind of goes back to your point that we're looking at these and these problems in isolation, and they all they all blend with one another. Exactly. Even with there's been a lot of articles, even with world problems, that whether it's climate change or whether it's aging population or whether it's health care, we keep looking at them all in isolation, mm -hmm. yet they're all a domino effect on each, on, on, on each other. But I don't know how you get all levels of government and everyone together, but I think maybe people like me talking about it and just moving the conversation along. Yeah. Uh, think, speaking of the three levels of government, um, a good client, longtime client of mine has worked with uh, at a fairly high level. He's a consultant for a lot of the big developers in the city, the, the Akalinis and the Grovesner and uh, uh, Concord Pacific. He worked for Concord Pacific for many years. And um, he was telling me the horror stories of working with the city of Vancouver for these you know, monster projects, the kind that you market and sell and how long it takes, the negotiations with the CACs. Um, and he was telling me that a lot of his clients, especially the smaller ones that are not as deep pocketed, they're literally selling off their, they're, they're completing their Vancouver projects and they're not repurchasing land here. Uh, he's, they're going to North Vancouver, they're going to Burnaby, or they're even going to municipalities like Edmonton because they, I, I like to use the term that Chip Wilson used in our, in our interview. He said that uh, money goes to where it's most well-loved. 
And um, I want to get your thoughts on the that, and that seems to be a municipal government issue that we're not allowing projects to get advanced quickly enough. Yeah, it's it's systemic in all municipalities and 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 cities. Vancouver's it's really tough. Okay, but um, we don't see a lot of people selling out. We see some people that may be putting the brakes on and going, "I'm going to look." You know, land's so expensive in Vancouver, anyways, and yes, and it's it's hard to find large op, large large opportunities. But you know, it's something that we have to look at with civic government. Is you know, we, we all want to change process. Our new mayor is going to work on changing process here in Vancouver. Mayor Surrey should look at changing process, but especially in Vancouver, that what is the culture of the planning department to mm -hmm. champion the development industry? Mm -hmm. You know, I always use the example that the developer pulls up on a Rolls Royce to City Hall, runs in with his architect and his plans and says, I want this done immediately, but I'll be in Hawaii. Well, no one <laughs> likes that guy. Right. So somehow we have to bridge uh, how can we fast track things. Mm -hmm. Again, <laughs> if I own the city, I'd look at the 100 people in the planning department and let's pay them a dollar per door on everything that's approved in a 12 month period. 3,000 units approved, you get a check for $1,000. Well, we're not going to get that past unions, but maybe if that money could go to a charity of choice or if that money could go to a downtown east side solution of choice. Right. I think we have to start going back to it. what we're doing is not working, so can we find a creative solution? Yeah. I like your dollar a door. That's pretty creative. Well, uh, it, it, would the developer pay a, an extra $100 a door to, to know that that it could be approved within 12 months. Yeah. Of course they would. I mean, this is the this is it, the feedback I've heard from developers is that there's so much uncertainty because it takes so long to get a project from from land acquisition to like, you know, people moving in in Vancouver that that all has to get factored into their models and it makes it obviously any project the longer out it goes, the more uncertainty there is. Yeah, but a, a land cost at two and a half percent holding for two years is one yeah. thing, but yeah. to hold but it at five percent for three years, yeah. it, it's it's cost prohibitive and it, it just gets passed on to the consumer. Well, that's the thing, doesn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, that's the only person who's paying it. Right? Well, the bank's not going to finance you unless you show whether it's your 14, 15 or 18 percent return. Yeah. So to get that return, all those costs are padded into the consumer. I, I've, oft, I've often thought that similar to the gas pump, yeah. Or when you buy a refrigerator, it has an inner guide on it, yeah. and it says how much goes to tax dollars. Perhaps that should be disclosed every time you buy a piece of, of developed real estate, and then the consumer understands where it's going, and it would take some perception off the pressure of the developer. Mm -hmm. You know, th there's a certain point that if the developer is not making a return, he may as well just stay in Hawaii. Right. So. Our thing has always been how can we how can we get meaningful supply for the development community for the consumer and a decent return, and well, that's when, getting difficult right when now. When I interviewed Ken Ken Sim a couple of years ago, uh, I believe was, he he was the one who stated that the there was some report that came out stating that in Vancouver, for developers there that government uh, delays in approving their projects account for something like 35% of their costs. Yeah. So if that was on a, an enter guide or on your contract when yeah. you bought it, 
it, it's not to cause outrage, it's just to, to understand it. Yeah. Like you said, like at the gas pump, when you see that little, uh, you know, the little, the little pie chart and it shows you how much of your gas is actually going towards taxes. Yeah. So what are we going to do when we all have electric cars and we're addicted to that gas tax? Right. We're going to tax the car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, but the, I wore an idea a minute, but all, all of nothing, it's not looked at holistically. Yeah. Now, Ken has a super majority, uh, as I like to describe it. I mean, he's got so many counselors uh, on, on he has council. A, he has a full slate. He has a full slate. Um, and I don't know, did, did, we saw that with Gregor Robertson. I don't know if we saw it in his very last term. I can't remember. Do you? No, last, that, that was. It was, was one of the problems with Kennedy Stewart and the last mayor and council is yeah. there wasn't a full slate. Yeah. You know, you so could, are you optimistic that uh, Ken Sim and ABC uh, are going to be able to make some very big changes? I'm, I'm optimistic that they're going to be able to get a few things done. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know whether changing process at City Hall will change to where we want to see it because of the culture. Right. Of everything. Yeah, right I mean now. that seems to be the bigger issue. It's not. It's not that uh, Kennedy Stewart or Ken Sim aren't not that, that they're not wanting to change, but it seems almost impossible to get the culture to change at City Hall. We're talking about not. We're not talking about politicians here. We're talking about the staff and the leadership of those staff and the way in which they view, like you described, uh, the you know rich developer coming in the Rolls Royce. You know, that's why I think some sort of participation by incentive so that everybody's rowing in the same direction. Yeah. Because nobody likes to get yelled at. Mm -hmm. And so as people are coming at yelling that this has taken me two years and, you know, their pay doesn't go up for taking it. You know, we all, we're all incentivized in what we do in our, in, in our careers. So you'll take more abuse, but it's just somehow that has to be, that, that has to be worked on. You know, that, that's between the HR department and psychologists, <laughs> et cetera. Yeah. But the, the lag in time has put more pressure on them to not like the development community. And yeah. I'm, I'm sure people listening at City Hall will say, I'm, I'm, I'm totally wrong. Well, prove me wrong. Yeah. Let's, let's see. Prove this, it wrong. Let's, let's bring this down to a year approval rather than the... Yeah, because like you the, said, what what's been ha what we have been doing isn't working. Yeah, and yeah. and and this goes back to how we started this. That is having a five hundred million dollar fund to buy used buildings, putting too much pressure on the market. We just we we have to find multiple solutions because there's not going to be one. Yeah, silver bullet. Silver bullet. But yeah. If if you drive down Hastings and you see. Uh, either side of Hastings and Maine, you know, uh, we've just left our office. We moved out of Chinatown, but you can't save Chinatown or Gastown without dealing with the challenges of Hastings Street. Yeah. And we need, which is why the more immediacy of, of, of the housing in isolation, everything is wrong that either government tries but maybe an accumulation if there's enough ideas that we will see some easing of, of pressure. Yeah. Uh, I want to start asking you, I, again, I, I agree with your idea that, that uh, in isolation, there's lots of little strategies that the government seems to be trying to implement, but there needs to be like a bigger sort of strategy that unfortunately doesn't, it extends 25 years. And most politicians think in terms of like you described it, 
one year and two year terms between sort of between those two election cycles. But I am going to ask you about some specific policies that we've seen rolled out. And you can just give me your sort of like thumbs up, thumbs down or whatever your opinion is. OK, um, I had a chance to interview at the BCR, uh, the BC Real Estate Association, the BCREA, uh, Trevor Coote, their CEO and their economist, uh, uh, Brendan Ogmanson. And when they came in, we this was uh, just as the government had they'd already announced, but it hadn't been implemented because it was like the end of end of 2022, um, this new cooling off period. Um, so for I mean, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about for yep. the listeners. Basically, the idea here is that if you're a seller and I'm a buyer and I go to buy your home from you, um, I get now is it three days, I three think day cooling off, period. three day cooling off period. And they were not in favor of this. In fact, one of their criticism was that they've given the government a lot of suggestions of which most of them have fallen on deaf ears um and of course their group represents the i think it was like the you know what is it fifteen thousand uh real estate licensed real estate agents across all of bc what's your view on this uh, cooling off strategy so my industry is very spoiled and they don't like change but unless you're offering all cash with no conditions you usually have a financing clause for seven days, yeah. et cetera. But if we, if we just continue to put, we, we all make money if we put the consumer first. So a three-day cooling off period, chances are they weren't going to go through it, through with it anyways on their seventh day with financing, whatever technicality or whatever building inspection takes place. Um, I think we... We're just all looking for things to get upset about. If that's the worst thing that can happen to my industry, yeah, it's okay. I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't get as upset about those things because, you know, a consumer buying a home is the largest for most people. You know, I use eighty percent of all sales on MLS are under one point five million dollars. Eighty percent. Eighty percent. And that and that wow. and yet listed on MLS, my numbers within a couple percent. It's only fifty-four percent of the inventory. So you can see where that pressure is, but people don't want to be forced into decisions. Okay. For so, the, so you're in favor. You give it a thumbs up. I, I'm I'm okay with it. the The flaw is there's three offers. You tend to take the one with the best terms and price, and then you lose that guy. And then you go back to the other two offers and they go, oh, that guy didn't want it. I don't want it. What I was going to pay for right. it anyways. Yeah, you lose that window. The, of, the, the seller loses that, 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 that pressure point. Uh-huh. But everybody's doing okay. And I, 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 I think we should look at the consumer first. And, you know, I, we have 250, I don't know, you know my, my company is 110 full-time staff in project marketing. And then there's another company that's about 250 brokers. So I'll probably hear from them this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't be publishing for a couple okay. of weeks. So okay. at least you've got to get a couple of weeks. To I'll give them a warning. Response is gonna give be. Them a warning. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it, it's not neutral. I'm okay with it. Okay. Next question is with respect to in November, a Premier EV, EB um, announced a changes to the Strata Act. And this uh, change, um, uh, eliminates the ability for stratas to 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 not allow rentals uh, with the I think the exception for um, homes uh, for 55 and over oh, for over 55 over 55 
Um, so maybe first of all, can you just briefly in layman's terms, describe that policy so that the listeners understand what it's about and what is your take on so that one? In wanting, I believe the underpinning is in wanting to create more rental supply. So, so I, I always use, you know, for the last 30 years when we came into project marketing that, um, people in the project marketing business are really the rental supplier to the city when 50% of buildings are bought by families and investors, and then they put that into the rental market. Because for, for our low vacancy rate, we don't have a lot of rental agencies gouging you for two or three months rent if they find you a place. Everything's done on Craigslist through a lot of Ma, Ma and Pa's. So they, the buildings feel that tenants are not as good an occupant as a homeowner, a homeowner so yeah. they've put in rental restrictions so because of that 55 years of age they'll want to, as a technicality to say that uh, renters aren't allowed but the trouble is if i own in a building and it's rented out to my nephew or to a to a, a an arm's length tenant and you put that 55 year old clause in i'm grandfathered Right. So again, the sensation of the three days, the sensation of let's all go to the 55 year olds, everybody's just glomming on to a, a negative. It's not going to have. It's not material, is that, what you're saying. The, 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 the catch of changing your building to over 55 years old is probably as onerous as allowing tenants. Right. Because now you're a 32 year old couple that wanted to buy in that building and you've been waiting so you can live close to your sister or your grandma and now I can't buy in the building. Right. So you've now affected values by limiting who can buy in it. It's all yin and yang. Every time yeah. something comes in and we think, well, we'll go beat it, you're causing another Well, so then problem. would you be in favor of just not having these in the first place? So let, let, let the market be what it is? Uh, most buildings, when they come on new, allow uh, rentals. Uh -huh. So it has to be a vast change. But if 50% of the building's been sold to investors, and a, a, a lot of this in, in, in investor market, they say they keep money in the bank, they buy something and, and they rent it out. They become speculators when the market moves too fast. Mm -hmm. So they bought in a pre-sale, the market goes up 30% before closing, and they go, you know what, I can pay your university tab I can retire two years earlier. They sell it. They didn't buy as a speculator. They bought to hold rental. So instead of building a 300-unit building that a large pension fund owns for rental, 150 of them are owned by very small ma and pa's that are just landlords. And they want to keep that rental in there. Yeah. In, in smaller buildings with larger suites, you have less rental anyways right. because that tends to go to to homeowners right Good market point. the market lev levels itself out I, yeah. I don't want to be pro all of these changes but they're not as drastic as we think okay that's helpful that's good insight because you're right we we hear about it on the news and you know that's the that's the purpose that mainstream media exists is to like promote fear and greed and so they want to make you feel fearful or greedy about mm -hmm. these policies you know. but what you're basically saying is that on the whole, 
these are really not very yeah, material yeah, policies yeah. in the first place. They're not going to really, they're not going to move the needle one way or the yeah. other. Co-ops in the West End trade at a lesser value than a condominium across the street because you're not allowed to rent it out. Right. So it affects value. The smaller buildings, would, they'll yell that it, that it, it creates a, a, a lesser environment if we got tenants in here. But, you know, we can't have it all. Yeah. You know, if, if you if, if you want a gated community, you can go buy a single family home in a gated community. Right. But, but we, we live in urban settings, so we have to understand urban values. Yeah. I want to talk about tax policy for a moment. So in my mind, taxes are imposed by government for one of two purposes. One is to generate revenue. And the second, and sometimes there are both one and the same. Second is to change behavior. So we saw uh, under Christy Clark and the BC Liberal Party, they implemented just before they got ousted a foreign home buyer tax. And I think at the time it was 15 or 10 percent, 15 percent. And then the NDP came along and now they've bumped it up to 30 percent, if I recall. Is that the right yeah, number? 20. Is it 20? Yeah. 20. Okay. Um, and then now, of course, now the federal government's banned foreign ownership altogether. As a political move. Sure. Yeah. It's political. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I think everything that Justin Trudeau does is political. Um, Turn the so. volume off. We win. <laughs> Turn the volume on. I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> here's my here's my view. So that on that on that policy, and I'd like you to get your, give me your thoughts. Um, when when you take a tax like that and you increase it to twenty percent. Um, you're, you're not looking to generate higher revenues. You're actually looking to stop foreign investors from buying here. At 20%, I mean, I don't know what foreign buyer would want to put their money into real estate in Vancouver. Uh, and so when I talked with David, I said, like, wh why don't you set some threshold? Because again, this was all based on the assumption that all this foreign money was coming in and it was causing prices to rise and, and it was it was pushing out the missing middle the politicians like to call and not allowing them to be able to buy real estate. And I said, well, but the thing is, if a, I live over in West Point Gray and I live around a whole bunch of houses that are $20 million plus. And I said to him, well, like if if a foreign buyer wants to buy a $20 million home. It has like, nothing to do with local income. No, no, it has not. It has, and even if that price of that house were to have in some apocalyptic environment drops by 50% in value is still $10 million is still not affordable. So why don't we allow speculation where we take five or 10% of a, of a, a tax, let me make the tax five or 10%, make it something that a foreign investor who's trying to like harbor their, you know, their, they want to take money out of India or China or South Africa, where they have a weak currency and they want to move it to a stronger economy where they've got they know that money it's basically in a form of like sitting in the bank but it's it's for only homes that are you know at least 10 million dollars or more now you're generating revenue i mean isn't there isn't that a good thing to have speculation amongst the, the very expensive real estate just keep it moving and also every time those houses sell there's also a property transfer tax that gets generated and we, we shouldn't care about the over 10 million I don't because, think as should. I say, with eighty percent of our sales on MLS being under one point five million in our region, there's where we should focus. Right. But when Christie put in the foreign buyer tax, uh, Carol Taylor, who was our former minister of finance under the Liberal Party, when Gordon 
was in. Uh, Carol and I spent a couple months putting together a speculation tax that if, once your name goes on title, if you sell before three years, year one is very onerous, year two, onerous, year three, little closer to capital gains. Uh, so that we kicked the speculator out of the market that want, even though I believe people turn into speculators, they weren't when they made the purchase, it kicks them out of the market or it forces us to keep rental inventory. And we urged her to put this in rather than a foreign buyer tax. Again, just like Justin Trudeau, putting in a foreign buyer tax is racist. <laughs> it, it, we're not after people that look like you and me. Right. We, it's caused people to be yelled at on the seawall. Right. And then we, we've seen speculative data come out that based on their last name, there must be a foreign buyer. Yeah. A few years ago, we had an opening at the hub in Surrey, 350 units in a building. I went out there to see the opening day and 95% of the room had black hair, right. Asian or South Asian. Less than 2% of the sales were foreign buyers. But it's caused us to just lump everybody in in into one. It all, so it's been very divisive. Yeah, I even had a, you know, what if foreign buyers uh, couldn't buy under a million five? Let's right. reserve that. Yeah, for, that's what let's I'm talking about. Let's reserve that for yeah, for 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 locals. But you know, we tax tobacco till probably everybody in this room doesn't smoke. Right. We're not going to quit living in houses, right? But it's become a, a, a place to 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 just keep taxing and and taxing. And we have I don't have the graph here. Within three years, well, right, right now, without immigration, we have more deaths than births in our province. So if someone's going to bring me a bread pan and be my lawyer and pay taxes twenty years from now. We need immigration. Sure. So we'll probably we're going to break five hundred thousand probably by two thousand twenty-five. I think is their twenty-six. Yeah. So we we need immigration, and immigration comes because there's jobs, and immigration uh, comes for a for, better for, life. for lifestyle. Yeah. So you're luring people in, but we say you can't quite live like me. Um, we didn't look after the other side of the coin that. You come here, you work for three years, maybe then I can apply to get my foreign buyer tax back. Mm -hmm. This, you know, we were a melting pot. Well, we're not quite a melting pot. We're a melting pot for some of us, but not for everybody. And and I I think that the that I'm I'm just waiting for someone in America to say, well, everybody in Palm Springs, we're gonna tax you. Because we, we can't we can't have 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 it all, and I think it's the wrong solution, especially if eighty five percent of what ends up speculation is done by locals. Mm -hmm. I think it's Australia has that foreign buyers can only buy new. Well, could you imagine Bob Rennie lobbying for that? Because <laughs> <laughs> then it's all we just want more new. Yeah. But again, they're they're politically expedient to get in the headlines, but it's, it's, we've just been asked to write a report on a large development, how we feel the, for the, the foreign buyer tax is a tight in. If it was 10%, people just pay it. That's what I'm talking about. 20%. It's going in auntie's name. 
everybody's yeah. looking for a workaround. That's right. So so why why not make it five or ten percent and 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 like I, I like the idea of maybe you you if you want to have a ban like I, again I don't understand whether it's the federal ban on foreign buyers or it's the local the provincial foreign buyers tax like again going back to the the one part of the market that, that really moves the needle when it comes to tax collection is these monster homes that are five and eight and ten million dollars but the, and they're not affordable homes for local Vancouver the fellow buying a fifteen million dollar home whether there's a $3 billion tax on it or the owner shares it with the buyer or however that gets yeah. washed out uh, in the market has nothing to do with our incomes. We all get, I, I believe there's only 500 homes in British Columbia. The office, I'll send you the data so that I'm sure. right. 500 homes in British Columbia assessed over $12 million. Right. Yet we talk about the Ferraris like everybody has one. <laughs> and we should only be talking about the Chevrolets. Yes. But we lump it all into the same conversation because we actually like that moniker that we're one of the most expensive places in the world to live. But when we're not when you look at 80% of our sales are under 1.5 million. Yeah. So we, we should be resetting it that we're paying attention to what fits in with local incomes where we're protecting that and where we're not as worried about over five million over ten million dollars well, well yeah i agree most of your uh your consumers the customers that that buy properties through rennie are are people buying for their own homes is that a fair statement is it uh th that's the myth okay uh to 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 get people to buy into a pre-sale and like Shangri-La was 40, yeah. 48 months. Yeah. It's half our investors. Okay. And, or it, it's a lot, what we see is a lot of family investment is mom and dad might buy down and live in it. If you go to university in Surrey, we'll, you, you live in it. If we decide to live more in the Okanagan and Bowen Island, we'll keep it as a pied-a-terre here. It's multi-pronged. They're not just buying in as a sheer investor number cruncher because you have to put forty percent down plus to make those right. numbers work. But so, but a certain a fairly significant segment of these of these buyers are still buying for their own home. Is they're, they're buying for their own home. Okay. Yeah. So so that leads me into the next couple of questions I have. When we first started talking, maybe before we were filming, you were talking about um, the cost to buy a, a seven hundred square foot condo in Vancouver. And, and how much you need in a down payment alone. Yeah. And so, uh, so so give the listeners a, a, a sense yeah. of like what, what you've got to come up with. So if 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 our regional household income is 117,000, yes. yeah. you can qualify, I think 4.69 was the rate they used the other day, uh, to buy a $709,000 something. Something, yeah. A one bedroom downtown, a two bedroom in Langley. Right, wherever that fits in, but you—that's with one hundred and forty-nine thousand down. So if uh, so if they come up with one hundred and forty-nine thousand dollars, so if, if you if if the household is earning one hundred and seventeen thousand dollars, does that put you in a thirty percent tax, tax bracket? bracket? Yeah. So you're bringing in ninety thousand dollars a year. Yeah. You expect to be driving a decent car, and yeah. you expect to be living in decent rental accommodation, but if Four or five thousand a month is going out just 
just to cover your cars and yeah. and your rental. How do you save your hundred and forty nine yeah. thousand like, dollars? Even if you could save twenty thousand dollars a year, uh, okay, so you're so seven years you. later, right? That seven hundred nine thousand dollar property that you were going to buy, chances are has gone up one hundred fifty one thousand. Yeah. So yeah, how absolutely. do you how do you get ahead of it? But you, you so you, so so one of my questions, Bob, about, around this is. Um, as you know, there's a program, and I've I've helped lots of my younger clients over my career with the uh, first-time home buyers uh, um, application, where they can take money out of their RSP, right? So you, that same taxpayer, can put their savings into an RSP, and they get basically thirty cents back in the dollar as part of their RSP contributions, and then later when they do accumulate enough. But the problem is, it's capped at I think like. $40,000. I'm not sure what the number is, but it's a very low number. I mean, to me, this should be at least indexed to housing prices. I yes. mean, if you're, if you're but, buying a house in Saskatoon, no problem. But if you're trying to buy a condo in Vancouver, you know, the first time home buyers using their RSP savings is a very minimal. It, 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 it doesn't put a large enough dent. Yes. In it, you know, when, when I was married, our first house, we were given a $5,000 grant to help buy it. Right, but it was fifty five thousand dollars, <laughs> so it's pretty well ten percent. Yeah, of 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 the purchase price. But you know, you deal with affluent clients, so if a household income's five hundred thousand, they're paying fifty three percent tax. Yeah, but so they're bringing in two fifty. Yeah, they expect to be driving quite a car. Yeah, and having a suntan and living yeah. in a decent place. How do they save up a million five to buy their? Yeah. They're three million dollars. So what do you place. think the solution is? Do these people just need to accept a lower standard of living? Um, do we need to have a lower tax base, like on income taxes? Do we allow yeah. banks to, uh, you know, offer mortgages with zero down? What, what do you think the solution is? Longer you amortization know, of mortgages? You know, no, no, nobody's going to subsidize you to make money. So, you know, we're looking at um, working uh, with help with. Uh, uh, frontline workers uh, to create workforce housing that we think we can offer for 30% below market, 50% of it will be ownership, 50% of the complex will be rental. And then there'll be something on title to make sure you don't make a, a, a windfall profit. But it's just one of the creative solutions. We're dealing with another group that are looking at doing some agri-housing on agricultural land mm -hmm. to that we might be able to bring in a two bedroom for 799,000, a very small cottage home, and then it'll have a plot and some attached land for farming, et cetera. So, so there's ideas here. There's but ideas, but they haven't all, I sit at these tables and you go, okay, how are we gonna move it along? How are we gonna get this? You need political willpower the next behind two it. years, yeah. But back but to your savings, yeah. that number that I use, the three hundred and eighteen billion in clear title housing, yeah, that's the money that's probably going to fund sixty percent of the first-time home buyers, right? And then that's mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, either passing away or before they do, passing that money down to the younger kids yeah they're, they're either the, taking a loan on their home or yeah. they're actually getting that money transferred now while they're living before taxes really really uh, ch change on them and but the other thing is that we are all addicted starting with granite and stainless steel and having it all 
but just good old fashioned values. You were brought up in Port Alberni, yeah. and yes, it was a white picket fence, yeah. but your parents didn't start out with a brand new fence. Oh they, no, it was they, all, they moved along. So it's moving further east than you wanted to. Yeah. And hopefully you've got decent transit. Yeah. You know, if I, and this goes back to the beginning of our conversation and you were referring to this as a being, it needs to be looked at from a regional. Uh, look at it holistically. Let's get transit out to mission. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then once it's the mission, as that starts to move out, where's the, where's the next posting? Yeah. But we're, we're better to, to make some holistic mistakes that treat the region yeah. rather than um, just looking for these high profile little solutions here and there. Yeah. I, it, it, I have a handful of young people as clients that have, you know, just because you know, I like to help them out. And these people don't even, they don't max out their RSP contributions. They're barely making any TFSA contributions. So like these new programs have no material impact on their, no, they, and they're still struggling to get by. Yeah. But it comes down to, you said earlier, do I know a region where it's working? Well, everybody's moved to the light. We all want to live where everybody else lives. Yeah. I, I was, I was looking for a place in New York number of years ago and I was told find the find a location that's that is the least inconvenient to your lifestyle which is where you where your dry cleaner is where you like to go eat where museums are whatever whatever we're looking for rather than the most convenient because when you're not going to find the most convenient so okay. what is not the the, the least, the least inconvenient. inconvenient and I think again we just have to change our philosophy just get your name on title I, you know, I started this at 19 and I would tell all my, my friends just own anything. So one day you don't have to pay rent. That was my magic formula. That, that's great advice. And, but then homes were $33,000 and yeah. you got 300 a month rent for them. Yeah. But you can still apply that advice yeah. today, Bob. Maybe you yeah. have to live out a little further out. Buy maybe. it with a friend. Yeah. Own anything. Yeah. Just get your name on title and then you've got a chip in the game and you can move that along. Bob, you were just saying uh, that there should be two goals people have. Yeah, well, my thing is just get your name on something so that you're in the game. Yeah. If you're gonna stay and live with mom and dad for 10 years, rent it out until you can afford to live in it. Uh -huh. But you, you, you need a piece of property so that you can trade and slowly move up and maybe get back to the aspirational area where you, you wanted to be. But I've always felt that uh, because we market condominiums, that once you get your name on title of a condominium, do anything you can to try and save up, or if that goes up in value, borrow some of rents have gone up, and buy something else a lot less than you wanted, but try and keep that one. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be your retirement. You, you're not hurting anybody, you're causing rental supply, and then start to move along to where you you want to be because own, owning one piece of property, you're always going to be selling it to move up or move sideways right. or as babies are born, everything yeah. else. But once you get two, now you've got a piece of the rock and something that you keep long term. Yeah, yeah. But I, I find people love to sell just to get a free appraisal. That <laughs> Everyone, we all want to say how much we got for it rather than just let's just keep it and put it away and wait long term. Yeah, this doesn't help first time buyers, my philosophy, because I'm causing people to to hold it. But I am causing rental by telling clients yeah. to, to hold need, on to the property. And you property. need both. We need we yeah. need both. Yeah. We, need, we need all of it.
Now, Bob, you you started uh, selling real estate uh, in when you were 19 years old. Have I, I got that right? Yes. Okay. Um, and you're in your early 60s now? I'm 66. 66. Yeah. Okay. So uh, to, in kind of wrapping this up, if you were to look back at your early days, young boy coming out of East Vancouver, getting into the space, and you look at how the market, not, not necessarily how you approached it as a salesperson, as a marketer, because obviously you've been a huge success. So I'm sure you don't really need to change too much. But if you looked at the way in which any level of government had policies in place, was there anything that existed um, in the 1970s or 80s that we don't have, we don't uh, provide today to, you know, to buyers that would be nice to bring back? You know, they, on new housing, I don't know, it's probably 1985, before Expo 86, uh, they moved it to, if you bought a home priced under $87,500, I believe you could get a $10,000 grant. And new homes then were 75,000. And so I told everybody, every home's going up to 87,500 next week. They thought I was crazy, <laughs> but it, 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 it moved it along, but it got a lot more, a lot more people uh, into it. But the, the other thing with people like myself, you know, I'm, we boast about, I don't have grade 12. I'm a, I'm a fluke of nature and ignorance is bliss. But, you know, I was born in 1956, uh, came into project marketing in the late 80s, early 90s, as housing was needed, urban living was accepted, and interest rates kept falling off. You can't recreate that. Right. So a lot of people sort of in, in my shoes try and tell you, you know, what, what to do. But I think I tell everybody, I just follow, follow a passion and the income will end up arriving there. The reason I came into real estate is I lived in a very complicated household where my mother left my father 17 times, half the time with furniture. But one of the last times, she phoned a broker. And I wish I could remember his name. He came out from Block Brothers, which was a famous brokerage firm then. And my mother made a chocolate cake and served coffee. And this guy sat there and he said, this is what the neighbor sold for. This is what happened here. This is what happened there. And I was a smart kid. And I thought, I can do this with no historical knowledge. I only need current data. And I get served coffee. <laughs> and I just turned it into <laughs> the making a living at kitchen tables. But anyone can find current data. Yeah. Historical data, you know, to be a surgeon and to have a, a, an honorable career was going to take a lot of schooling. And the, that one thing, and we've always been massively data-driven. I, I have uh, three demographers and three economists and full-time staff. But we've always hidden that part and made it look like Bob was Rain Man and understood all this. <laughs> I have this whole team behind me. But it, it's hard to tell everybody, well, just go do that, but do it with passion. We did it with the art collection. I just decided to pick a passion and some things work out. Yeah. Wow. That's a neat story. Uh, your son, Chris, is now helping you run the business. He runs it. Uh, he runs it. He okay. runs it. Okay. Yeah. 
what's uh, what's kind of you're 66. You just mentioned that. What's it kind of uh, the next stage of your life? What do you envision happening over the next decade for yourself? What so, are you What are you aspiring so to do? I, everybody needs a golf game, okay. and so mine is art. I, I, I am chair of modern and contemporary acquisitions for the Art Institute of Chicago. I am the president of Tate London for America. So I have my art world that is mostly outside of, of Vancouver, but I've got that to do, but I still want to maintain the culture of the building, but I'll boast. I phoned Chris this morning and I said, I just got an, a note from Vancouver magazine that I'm on the power 50, but not just me, you and I are on there together. And he, I could feel his face go red on the other end, but he doesn't want profile. And I said, I think as a father, it's absolutely amazing to be able to then stand up together that that transition is, is, is visible. Yeah. But I, I'll tie this together. Chris and I were outside of the Fairmont hotel, uh, having coffee and I was telling him a story about Jim Patterson and he goes shh shh I said why he said shh he's there and I stood up I said Jimmy I said you don't know my son I said my son has taken over the business and he said I don't know two families where that's worked but good for you <laughs> but I think the founders to a company are the biggest detriment to their growth because I want yesterday back. I want the way it was. Right. It's gone. We all have an iPhone in our hand and things are completely changed. So we started to go through the transition of when I was 58. Okay. And I said, Chris, sit beside me, see if they like you. Because if the company doesn't like you, it's just nepotism. Right. But it worked. He's way smarter than I am and has a very egalitarian slash Japanese approach to it that, that works. Wow. So I'm a proud guy but a lucky guy so uh, this morning was actually a big game changer that he's going to have to be visible with me oh wow well yeah. we'll look forward to seeing seeing that uh, image on vancouver mag one day you'll get him yeah. in here <laughs> I, I you asked if he wanted to come today and he's yeah. just oh no <laughs> um one other question i i have for you is uh with respect to your activity here in vancouver you had a uh uh, an art gallery or a museum uh, in Chinatown. I know, I know Chinatown was, uh, you had a building there. Can you maybe let the listeners know how, what happened there? So we bought the oldest building in Vancouver's Chinatown in 2004. Crazy passion. Went, What's the name of the building? Uh, Wing Sang. Wing Sang. And went through a five-year heritage restoration, moved our offices in the front, and then built a museum for the art collection. In, in the 90s, a black artist said to me, if you go in a museum and you don't see a black figure in a painting on the wall, you think it doesn't belong. I'm paraphrasing, but we're going to change that. And I went, Kerry James Marshall was his name. And I went and bought a painting out of the estate of uh, Paul Winfield, who was in Star Trek and roots, etc. And it was from 1986. And it's called the Invisible Man. It's a black figure with only the teeth and the eyes showing through. And I paid $54,000 for it. And I was highly criticized. A few dealers phoned and said, you don't know what you're doing. It's a $20,000 painting. And I said, I don't know, I think it's foundational to this guy's career. And I went on a tangent with collecting 
artists that deal with social justice. I have a saying that I use, maybe if I ever write a book, I'll use it, is, uh, is it social jewelry or social justice? It's usually just social jewelry, but we wanted to be on the social justice side. So we have 3,000 works plus in the collection. The goal was that it would just be an extension of our living room, and we decided to open it to the public and do three shows a year. But the Chinese Canadian Museum approached us a couple of years ago and asked to buy the building. And I said, never, it's my legacy, it's my ego. And then we talked as a family, my kids don't want to run a museum when I die. And as Chris says, great, we leave the funeral and close your museum. Who's the asshole? Kids. <laughs> <laughs> so we started talking to them and between the government and ourselves, we gave the building to the Chinese Canadian Museum. Really? And wow. So the legacy's there. We protected the oldest building. Yeah. It hurts, but I was a great, crazy custodian to restore it, but they're the right custodian. Yeah. So, That's a nice story. Yeah. I think it'll yeah. help stabilize Chinatown. I have this fantasy that grandma will come back because of the Chinese Canadian Museum, and then the grandchildren will start to respect it more. And let's see what that tomorrow's version of Chinatown is. Yeah. It's not the one I remember from the 60s and 70s, but there'll be a new version. New version of it. Walkable yeah. and livable. Yeah. Well, Bob, this has been a great conversation today. I really appreciate you coming in. Yeah. It's Thank all you. softballs. It's <laughs> easy. It's good. Thank yeah, you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bob Rennie uh, on Coastal Front uh, today talking about uh, real estate development, a little bit of your history and how you got started and uh, government policy. Thank you for being on Coastal Front today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Great. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks.